want to ask you a question before I get started. How many of you today are 100% certain beyond a shadow of a doubt, not one doubt in your mind, that the Seahawks are going to win today? <laughs> not one doubt. Oh, come on. Not one doubt. Uh, come on. You're either bad fans or you're lying. I don't know, but... We are talking about our personal issues in this sermon series, and today I want to talk about doubts. Some people, some Christians, they never doubt. They have the gift of faith, but for most of us, myself included, we doubt our faith from time to time. Maybe we're reading about some miracle in the Bible, and we go, no way, that didn't happen. Or we wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? Or we pray and pray and pray for something that seems so good and nothing ever happens. And so we start to wonder, is God even out there? Is Jesus even real? Does he care? And if so, well then, where is he? And I don't think doubts are just limited to Christians. Maybe you're a religious seeker and you've got a lot of questions about who God is. I expect even atheists doubt their faith from time to time. After all, It's as much a leap of faith to say that there is no God as to say that there is one. Either way, you're starting with a whopper of an assumption. But as Christians or as religious seekers, how do we handle our doubts? Or how do we help people we know who are struggling with doubts about their faith? Three things. The first is this. We need to get comfortable with the fact that doubts are part of faith. I think sometimes the problems with we church types is we've somehow communicated that doubts are wrong or sinful, which strikes me as kind of odd given that the Bible is really more a book about people who doubted than it is a book about faith. Abraham doubted, Moses doubted, the disciples doubted, Thomas doubts. One of my favorite scenes in the whole Bible is right after God has divided the Red Sea in two. So that the Israelites could escape from slavery. He split the ocean in two and one chapter later, one chapter later, the Israelites don't have any water. So they start whining to Moses, we're going to die. You're a terrible leader. Where's God? Okay, just one chapter before they had seen an ocean divide in two. Don't know about you. That would have held me for a while. I bet if I saw that, I could, I could have faith for an entire 24 hours. I'm sure of it. The Bible is filled with doubters. And that's because doubts are a part of faith. Jesus didn't say to us, I want you to have sure and certain empirical knowledge. He said, have faith. And faith always implies a little bit of doubt. I have faith, for instance, that my wife loves me. That she's not going to leave me for a rock star and take the kids in the pickup truck and turn me into a country western song. (laughs) And I've got some good evidence that she loves me. But I can't prove it. It's possible that she doesn't. It's possible that she just got this thing for guys who wear robes on Sunday morning, right? Be weird, but it's possible. So I have to have faith that she loves me. All relationships. And that's what Christianity is, a relationship with Jesus. All relationships entail a little bit of doubt because it's about trusting someone. And that's what makes relationships so powerful. It's someone being willing to say, I am willing to step across this little bit of doubt and put my trust in you. And that's what God is asking us for. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear and distrust. When I was in college, I had a friend who was taking a Russian literature class and 
The professor one day said that Christianity has produced nothing of any artistic value ever. Not Michelangelo, not Bach. I mean, it was just this incredible statement, right? So my friend, knowing that this professor just loved Dostoevsky, raised his hand and said, well, what about Dostoevsky? And the professor said, Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky, he didn't count. His was always a doubting faith. And my friend said, there is no other kind. Not bad for a 19-year-old. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's a part of it. The second thing we do with our doubts is we let our doubts drive us to a stronger faith. Frederick Buechner says that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. Our doubts can spur us on to a stronger faith. That's what Thomas is doing in this story. Thomas wasn't with the disciples that first Easter Sunday when they all saw Jesus raised from the dead. So he missed that. And that's a lesson to us all. Don't skip church. Something cool might happen. Don't want to miss out on anything. So Thomas says, unless I see it myself and can put my hands where the nail prints are, I can't believe it. And what Thomas is doing is his doubts are driving him to investigate the claims of Jesus himself and make up his own mind. When I was in seminary, supposedly learning how to be a pastor, one of my professors would always say, maybe there was a Jesus, but I doubt it. I think, why am I paying you so much money? But that drove me to investigate Jesus on my own, especially his resurrection from the dead. And through that process of reading books both for and against Christianity, I became convinced that it really happened for a whole host of reasons, and I've shared them with you in the past. You know, things like why would the disciples die claiming they saw Jesus raised from the dead? Folks will die for a lot of things, not something they know to be a lie. Why were women the first witnesses of the resurrection in a culture where women were considered pathological liars? And their testimony wasn't admissible in court. If you're making it up, some guy would have been there. What about all the prophecies that accurately predicted Jesus? For those reasons and tons and tons more, I became convinced that Jesus is real. My doubts drove me to have a stronger faith. There's an author named Lee Strobel who was an atheist and a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And his wife became a Christian and He noticed some changes in her life, and so he decided to investigate it himself, as a journalist would, objectively. And he spent two years researching Christianity, and he ended up becoming a Christian and wrote a book about it. Let your doubts drive you to a stronger faith. I've included some books in the bulletin that can help you in that. We have CDs in the back from the Why I Am Not a Christian series we did last year, where we took on some of the tough questions of faith. You can attend the Alpha class that explains the basics of Christianity. Go to Bruce's class on faith and science. Or ask anyone on this church's staff. We would love to help you. Let your doubts drive you to a stronger faith. Finally, the third thing we do with our doubts, and and this is the most important thing I'm going to say, so if your mind has been wandering, time to bring those ponies back into the barn. We need to act on our beliefs to see that they're real. And this is the most important part of doubt. Got to act on our beliefs to see if they're real. It's the only way we're going to know. When Jesus calls Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water, he doesn't say to Peter, well, but first you might want to conduct some experiments about water tension and weight dispersal to see if it'll work. He just says, you'll find out if you try it. 
We become convinced of Jesus not so much through evidence and logic, but by doing the things he tells us to do and seeing that they're real. When I was a kid, my grandparents lived on a farm, and my grandfather had built a bridge over a river that ran through their property. Now, my grandfather was a farmer, not a structural engineer. And so I easily could have doubted his bridge-building abilities. But because I walked across that bridge every day that I was there, I knew he was just as good at building a bridge as he was at growing wheat. Because I acted on my beliefs. It's as I have given some of my money to God's purposes and watched him provide. It's as I have served others in his name and watched him work through me that I've become convinced that he's there. I had a friend who was an agnostic and she went on a short-term mission trip with a church to South Africa and ended up becoming convinced that Jesus was real. Partly because she saw sin and injustice up close for the first time and started to feel in her heart that if a price wasn't paid for all that sin, then there just was no justice at all. And she realized that's part of what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's paying the price for all those sins, but in a way that provides mercy for the sinner. But more importantly, she was called on in that mission trip to to work with the poor and the oppressed and to come up with the right thing to say to them. And she didn't know how she was going to do it, but every time she felt God giving her the right words and she knew it wasn't her, she knew it was God. And that convinced her that Jesus was real. It was by doing the things that Jesus tells us to do, like serve the poor, that she discovered that he was there. So I want to challenge you today. If you are a doubter, if you are a seeker, I want to give you this challenge. Try Jesus for one year. Try Jesus for one year. For one year, pray to the God that you don't believe in and ask him for faith. Faith is ultimately a gift from him. Ask him for it. Read the Bible and then read books for and against Christianity. Go to church. Give some of your time and money to serve in others in his name. And obey his rules for how to live and treat others. For one year, test his claims. For one year. And see if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you into a relationship with him. Now, the important word there is relationship. I didn't say, see if the Holy Spirit gives you every answer you ever want. No. But see if the Holy Spirit doesn't help you know that the answer giver is right there. Because that's the bottom line on this deal. It's not about having sure and certain empirical knowledge in our head. It's about a relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, Jesus is not asking us for intellectual assent. That's part of it. But what he's really after is our heart. A relationship with us. And he's saying, will you let me be your leader and your forgiver? Will you let me into your life? And the appropriate answer to those questions is not true. It's like when someone asks you to marry them. You don't say true. Will you marry me? True. It's confusing. You can say yes. You can say no. You can say maybe so. But you can't say true because it's a relationship and that's what he's asking for. And ultimately, I think that's what we're asking for too. Because even if we had every answer there was to have, we would still have to face life's harsh realities by ourselves. And I think what we really want deep in our heart is a relationship with our Creator. In this story... It never says that Thomas actually goes ahead and sticks his fingers in the nail prints in Jesus' hand. I don't think he had to. Now that Jesus has met him in his place of need, now that Jesus has touched his heart, he doesn't need quite as much proof as he thought he did. 
And he's able to say, my Lord and my God, not Jesus, you're a great teacher, not Jesus, you're an interesting historical person, but Jesus, you are God in the flesh and you are my Lord. Pascal, the philosopher, not the computer program, Pascal said, the heart has its reasons which reason cannot know. The heart has its reasons which reason cannot know. And ultimately what convinced Thomas and convinced me and convinced Lee Strobel and every other Christian is that at somewhere along the way we had a personal encounter with Jesus. Not an intellectual one, a personal one. You know, ever since the Enlightenment, we have decided that if it can't be scientifically proven, it must not exist. And that's a problem. Because there are a lot of things that we can't prove, and it doesn't mean they don't exist. In the Middle Ages, Europeans were confidently drawing maps that did not include America. Didn't mean that America didn't exist. Just meant they didn't have the tools to discover it. We're never going to have all the tools we need to discover an infinite God because we do not have infinite minds. And our senses are limited to the five that we have. And there are things out there that we can't know because we don't have the intellect or the senses to apprehend them. It'd be as if we never had ears and we were trying to discover sound empirically. There are things that we can never know with our intellect. And that's why God gave us a heart. And that's why ultimately God speaks to the heart. And he asks us a heart question, not a head question. Will you love me? Will you follow me? Will you let me into your life? Years ago when I was doing college ministry, there was a couple of weeks stint where every single student I met with were having these intellectual questions about faith. You know, how can Jesus be the only way? How do we know that Jesus is real? I mean, you know, not not one of them wanted to talk about a busted relationship. They just all had these doubts, right? And normally I could handle that, but after weeks and weeks of this, it started to implant some doubts in my own mind. Well, one night I was trying to write a sermon, but I couldn't because these doubts were just swimming around in my head. So I called one of my good friends and I started talking. But being male, I couldn't actually admit that I had a problem. That would be uncomfortable. So we talked news, weather, and sports for a while. And finally he said, Scott, are you okay? And I said, I am fantastic. Why do you ask? And he said, I have known you for over 20 years. What's wrong? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I am struggling with some doubts about my faith right now. And I said, do you do you happen to believe any of it today? And he said, Scott, you caught me on a good day. I do happen to believe it today. (laughs) And I said, well, then can you remind me why I have believed it all these years? And he said, oh, that is so easy. It's because you're a sinful jerk and you know only Jesus takes care of that. (laughs) Thanks. I think. But instantly I knew that Jesus was real, not because of logic or evidence or reason, though there's plenty of that to support Jesus' claims, but because of the way Jesus has met me on a heart level in my deepest need. As I've said to you before, the religion you choose will be based on the problem you think you have. And if you think that your problem is you don't know enough, you're going to get a religion of enlightenment. And if you think that your problem is that you're not good enough, you're going to get a religion that emphasizes good deeds. And if you don't think you have any problems, I suppose you'll be an atheist. But if you think that your problem is that you don't know enough and you're not good enough and there is nothing that you on your own can ever do to know enough or be good enough to relate to an infinite, all-holy God on your own, well, then you have only one option, and that's Jesus. 
Because what you're saying is that you need a Savior. And only Jesus provides that. The heart has its reasons which reason cannot know. And my heart knows that I am a sinner. And only Jesus diagnoses that problem right, which means he's the only one that got, he's the, only one that got the cure. And time and time again, he has met me in my heart in ways that reason can never know, but that are as real to me as the ground beneath my feet. And he has forgiven me when I needed it. And he has transformed me from what I was to what I am becoming. And he has assured me of his love. And because of that, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand on the last day. And in my flesh, I shall see God. And when I experience that, I don't need any proof. And when I don't experience it, no proof will do. So what about you? What are you going to do about your doubts this week? I would hope as a community we would not feel the need to hide them. Thomas doesn't. I would hope that we would let our doubts drive us to find the answers to our questions. That we'd act on what we believe so that we can see that Jesus is real. But most importantly, that we would pray for and be open to a personal encounter with Jesus. The answer giver. Because that's the only thing that we're really going to know, only way that we're really going to know that he's there. Like the Roman centurion in the Bible who asked Jesus for a miracle, our constant prayer needs to be, Lord Jesus, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Lord, we know that faith is a gift that comes from you. And so we pray for faith. Lord, wherever we're at, whether we've known you for 20 years or really hardly ever heard of you at all, we pray that you would give us the gift of faith and that through that we would be able to know you more and act on what we believe so that we can be even that much more sure that you are there. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.